to John chapter 3. We're continuing in our series on the book of John. We've gone through a couple different chapters so far, and at the very beginning, Jesus is introduced to us. God is, is uh, John is introducing Jesus to us, that he is the light of the world. He is the one who's come in the flesh. And then he is introducing Jesus subsequently in, in chapter or two, and, and now as well as, as the one who's replacing things. And so we've seen that Jesus, he replaces the purification system. He replaces the way that we get clean before God. And, and Jesus replaces the Old Testament worship, the way that we draw near to God. And now we're going to see as well that, that Jesus replaces something else in this passage. So let's look at verses 1 through 15 together. This is God's holy inspired word. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is God's word. Amen. You know, over the years, I've gotten into various places or various things, either through who I knew or through what I've done or some connection through money or other ways. Remember right, the first major sporting event that I got into, I was really excited about, was 1994. The World Cup came to the United States, and I'm a soccer fan. I, I used to play soccer back in high school, and, and, I, and I loved the game. And so I got to see Belgium play Saudi Arabia in 1994, and this Saeed, oh, I can't pronounce his last name, Al-Owaran, he, took, he takes the ball, the midfield line, and he, he boots it over all of the defenders, and it sails over and lofts into the net past Belgium's defenders, and uh, Michel Proudhon, and it was probably one of the, as voted one of the top 20 most exciting goals in all of World Cup history. And, and I got to be there because I knew somebody and they paid for it. Both of those things were important. I, I could not have gotten in unless somebody was able to secure a ticket because tickets were impossible to get. They were sold out months and months in advance. And yet, even if I could have gotten one, I couldn't have afforded it. But I got in that way. 
I got to see in 1998 the Red Wings play in the Stanley Cup Finals. That was a phenomenal time and got to see them play in Washington, D.C. That was phenomenal. Again, through knowing somebody who had money and they invited me and they took me. We got to go to the kickoff for the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. And back in 2003, seven years earlier, there's this massive uh, celebration, this massive festival, but it was invite only. It was only for people who were supposedly important. I don't know how we got there, but my position with the company I was with got me an invite because they were trying to schmooze me because they wanted my business. So I had an inside track and hung out with people who were far more influential and wealthy than I was. We got to go to the Canada's version of the Super Bowl. No one here has ever heard of it. It's called the Grey Cup. I don't know why it's called the Grey Cup still. But uh, it, it, it was great. But again, it was my position that got me in as somebody else's money. Special access was granted either by money or who I knew or um, position. I got to play on some, some great golf courses. I got to go to the, the Canadian Open in 2005 at this beautiful golf course in Shaughnessy in Vancouver, British Columbia. And, and I got to see Vijay Singh play and, and Michael, I think, Kalkavecchia, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, he, he won that year. It was, it was a great golf game. I'm not a golf fan, but it was great to be there. Again, it was all from Connections. And that's the way it is for many things today, right? In, in the world around us, people get into exclusive clubs, into good places, into uh, good schools, uh, the right schools. They get into good events. They get into um, good communities, good neighborhoods, good homes, all those things. Either through you know, through money, through fame, through fortune, through influence, who you know, what degrees you hold, your accomplishments, how hard you work. Opportunities increase based on these things. All these things, all these privileges are, are part of the so-called good life that it's not necessarily available to everyone. The problem is that's the way the world works and yet people today in the church think that's the way the church works. They think that's the way God's kingdom works and it was no different back in Nicodemus's day. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he comes to Jesus making some assumptions. He comes to Jesus acting like he has entry into God's kingdom already and like he is in a position to judge Jesus as he is a teacher and he comes and tells Jesus, here's Jesus, here's how we're assessing you. Here's what we think of you. And so really the question that John is answering is a question that Nicodemus should have asked, but he didn't ask. He should have been asking Jesus, how do I get entry into God's kingdom? But he already made the assumptions. He came already and Jesus sees it and he meets him at the heart and that's so interesting all throughout interactions with Jesus not only in this interaction but the interaction with the woman at the well Jesus sees what's in the heart that's what we saw in the last chapter as well Jesus knows what's in the heart of man and he sees the issue the core issue and Jesus confronts the issue of the heart and in this case he's confronting the issues of the heart and he's saying no it's got nothing to do with what you think Nicodemus and so the question he's answering is how is entry granted into God's kingdom? How do we come into a relationship with God whereby we live under God's gracious reign and rule? Now, when you hear reign and rule, for us, you might be intimidated think, I don't want to live under reign and rule. But no, see, see, God's reign and rule brings peace. God's reign and rule brings comfort. God's reign and rule brings safety, security. God's reign and rule brings goodness and provision. And so it should be a question for us. How, how do we get into that kingdom? How do we get into this remaking of the unmaking that Adam began, 
How do we get into this kingdom? How do we get into a relationship with Jesus? And Jesus answered the question he tells us in that passage, in this passage, really the, the main idea, at least part of the main idea, we'll finish it in the, at the end of the message, it, is that entry into God's kingdom, it's only given through supernatural means. It doesn't come the way you think, Nicodemus. Entry into God's kingdom is only given through supernatural means. Now, when John begins this passage, look in verse 1. He begins a passage, and John doesn't ever waste words. He's, he has all of the words he uses. He selects on purpose. He's a great writer. Now, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, so it's no surprise. He says, now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, who ruled of the Jews. Now, those words are all important. Pharisees were people who were the most esteemed religious group in Israel at the time. They were really popular as well. They were vigorously pro-Israel. They were very nationalistic, so that was very popular. They, they, they wanted to restore Israel to its glory days. They, they were against the Herods. They were against Roman rule. They believed in the supernatural. They expected the Messiah. They had this, this ethic of good works and, and, and an outward piety. They were handed down in, in their oral teachings, and these traditions were meant to keep them holy and acceptable to God. And so they believed that as they kept all these laws and rules, they lived a certain way that God would accept them that they had granted entry to God's kingdom. Not only were they Jews, which, by the way, as a Jew who was circumcised, that, that you became part of God's special people. You got special access there. But if you're a Pharisee, you were kind of guaranteed that special access. But not only was Nicodemus both of those things, he was also a ruler. And that word ruler means that he was a ruler, a member of the Sanhedrin, this, this select elite group. This elite group that ruled all of the Jews, that oversaw their religion, that oversaw their ways of coming to God of, of the kingdom in their minds. And also we see in, in verse 10 when Jesus is kind of correcting him, we see though that Jesus references him with a title. He says, are you the teacher? There's a definite article there, not just a teacher of Israel. Are you the teacher of Israel? Are you the preeminent teacher? So, so Nicodemus has all of these privileges. He is a Jew. He is a Pharisee. He is a good Pharisee. He's also a teacher. He's the preeminent teacher, and he's a ruler. So he's got position. He's got education. He's got the right birth credentials. He's got the right accomplishments. And, and look at how he comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus in verse 2. He comes to him by night. Now that's telling. We'll get to that in a minute. And he says, Rabbi, we know. He speaks authoritatively to Jesus, by the way. Rabbi, now, he's being respectful, but he says, we know. We rulers, we, we know how it goes. And, and by the way, we've assessed you. We know that you're a teacher. We wanted to let you know that we know you're a teacher because nobody can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, that's not really a question, is it? It's not a question at all. He's, he's bringing a lot of assumptions in that, and so Jesus cuts through all that, and he tells something to Nicodemus. He, he really tells something Nicodemus, Nicodemus doesn't get, and a lot of us today don't get either. And he says, he says entry into God's kingdom, it, it doesn't come through fleshly means. Entry into God's kingdom doesn't come through fleshly means. Don't be confused. Entry into God's kingdom doesn't come through fleshly means. Now, Nicodemus didn't ask anything about that. And that was actually part of the problem. He comes assuming that he knows. We know. He comes like a superior teacher might come to an inferior teacher. Now, he also comes at night because maybe he doesn't want to be seen because he's, he sees these signs, but he's like, I don't want people to think I actually believe in you yet. 
Maybe he was longing for the kingdom, but he was at least curious, and he comes at night, and, then, and, 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 and yet he, he almost seems to come respectfully, but Jesus sees through that, and he sees the core issue of Nicodemus' life, just like he sees the core issues of our life. He sees through all of what we think, all of what we know, and he speaks to our heart, and he says, entry into God's kingdom, it doesn't come through fleshly means. Now, now for us, we're tempted to think that way in different ways. Like, sometimes when I am feeling like I've not been very faithful, I've not been a good father, I've not been a great um, husband, I've not been uh, a, a great pastor, I've, I, I'm aware of different failures, different areas where I'm weak, and I've been a good friend or a good son, and all these things. And so that affects my confidence to come to God. I don't know about you if that ever has happened to you. Anybody here ever experienced that lack of confidence based on your performance? You know, sometimes I think I'm, I'm not very smart. I don't have, I don't have much to offer. I've not, I've not accomplished much. I don't, I, don't, I don't bring much to the table. And so I can lack confidence or, or I can be aware of sin and lack confidence because of those things. And so what Jesus wants us to know, what to hear is that, hey, entry into God's kingdom, relationship with God doesn't come through fleshly means. He says, Nicodemus, you, you think you're evaluating me? Nicodemus says, we know. And Jesus says, you do? We know? I'll, I'll tell you what I know. And, and he says, you know, you're teaching me how to enter God's kingdom by being good. You, you think you're secure? You think you know? And he says, Nicodemus, you don't know much at all. Look in verse 3. So Nicodemus comes as this teacher who's at least feigning that he's acknowledging this young, itinerant preacher. Nicodemus, this mature ruler, and Jesus stops him in his tracks. He says, truly, truly. Nicodemus, you're saying you know? I'm going to tell you the truth. Here's what I know. I say to you. Not we of the Pharisees. I don't want to hear that. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What Jesus is telling him is he's telling him that the entry into God's kingdom is only granted through supernatural means. It's only, it's only granted through supernatural rebirth. Entry into God's kingdom, it, it doesn't come through fleshly means. It only comes through a supernatural rebirth. It, it's not based on your pedigree. It's not based on what family you're born into. It's not based on the color of your skin, your ethnicity. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on any of those things. It comes through a supernatural rebirth. And Jesus, he pulls the rug out from Nicodemus. Nicodemus didn't know what he was walking into. And Jesus, he tells him, he says, hey, seeing the kingdom, experiencing God's rule and reign, by the way, you are the one who's teaching everybody about how to enter God's kingdom. And I'm gonna tell you, that's not it. It's not about being a Pharisee or a ruler or a Jew. No law keeping, no strict obedience, traditions. None of that qualifies you for entry. It's not about being a Jew. It's not about a child of Abraham according to flesh. It's not about an ethnic privilege. It's not about earning a place in God's kingdom. It's not about any of those things. It's not about who you, who you know here on earth at least. It's not about what position you have. It's not about power or money. You have to be born again from above. And for us, we hear that word, and we're not really surprised. We're like, oh, okay, John 3. I know what's coming next week. That's, you know, for God's love of the world and but the, the most well-known passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. And we lose the wonder of what it means to be born again. Think about for a moment the first time, the first person, Nicodemus, he's hearing these words. Nicodemus, he, he thinks he knows all about Judaism and religion and, 
and what it means to be close to God. And so he comes and he evaluates Jesus and Jesus says, you don't know. In fact, everything, all of your assumptions, all of what you've been teaching is not correct in that you need a new birth. But he doesn't get it because it's really weird sounding. It's very strange. Imagine if, you know, I I said that I wanted to, I don't know, go to the Super Bowl next year. Somebody says, well, you have to be reborn. What? I want want to be a part of a special club. Well, you got to be reborn. It's even more foreign. I I thought that, wait a minute, the whole Old Testament system and God made the way to come to him and, and yet Jesus says you have to be reborn. And, you know, in the 70s, a guy named Chuck Colson, he wrote a book uh, called Born Again. He, he, used to be, he was a criminal um, on, on Nixon's staff, broke into Watergate Hotel or ha- helped it. And in prison, he became born again. He experienced a new birth. So he wrote a book called Born Again. And so it's kind of become common vernacular, but it's lost its meaning. Don't lose the wonder and meaning of what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. What a shock it was. He's saying there's no way you can come to God unless you're born again. It has to be a complete rebirth. And that has to happen in your life too. It's only possible through rebirth. Don't think somehow that you're going to come close to God and have fellowship with him and be a part of his kingdom through some merit, through some accomplishment, through um, your pedigree, through how much you learn, how much you know, through your position, your fame, your color, your skin, your ethnicity, whatever, your privileges. No, none of that. There's only one way, and it's the same way for all humans. It's the rebirth into a, a new kingdom. And if there's anybody who had a right to be secure, sure, it was Nicodemus, and he comes very secure. But Jesus, it's like he's telling him, he says, Nicodemus, your entire system of confidence, by which you came to be a part of God's kingdom, is misplaced, it's wrong. It's not about all those things. It's not about how hard you work, your family, your education, your status as a teacher, your leadership, your position. You need rebirth from heaven. And, and he, 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 was, he was seriously thrown. He was confused. We're not sure why he reacted that way. Maybe his feelings were hurt. His pride was hurt. We don't know why. Um, sometimes Gentile converts, they're allowed into the Jewish religion. They're referred to as being like newly born children. Maybe he thought that's fine for them, but not me. I'm a leader of, I'm the teacher of Israel. I'm, I'm a leader. And so he responds and he says in verse four, how can a man be born when he's old? How's that happen? It's not possible. It's kind of a mocking tone toward Jesus. How, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb be born? It's kind of ludicrous. How can that happen? And so Jesus answers him in verse 5, and he says, truly, truly. So he tells him a different way, but he says it a second time. Truly, truly. Nicodemus, you're not listening. Here, I'm going to tell you. I told you the truth a minute ago. I'm going to tell you the truth again because you're not getting it. I'm going to tell you what being born again is like. Now, he's also being really helpful to Nicodemus because Nicodemus is a teacher of the law, so he's expecting Nicodemus to understand what he's saying. Jesus is not being unkind here. And so the second time, he says it, truly, truly, I say to you, the, what being born again means is being born of water and the Spirit. And unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. But, but what does it mean to be born of the water and the Spirit? Jesus explains that. He says, well, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. This natural birth, it can only get you what's natural. Anything you do here in the flesh will only get you the flesh. Anything on earth, all your learning, all your education, your fame, your fortune, who you know, your position, all those things, anything in the flesh is only going to get you more flesh. It might get you things in the flesh, but 
nothing more. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's it. But that which is born of the Spirit, it's Spirit. Like God, the Heavenly Father. We have to be born of the Spirit. And just like you can't bring about your own conception of birth, you can't make your own spiritual conception of birth happen. You know, how, how ridiculous would it be to say, yeah, I, um, I brought about my own conception. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah I, I, I brought about my own conception. I brought my mom and my dad together, and then um, I, I brought my own birth about too. I, I, I borned myself. Um, I have a newborn identity. Sorry, that was really terrible. It's not a... I should stick to my notes more. So uh, it's, it's not about human activity. You've got to be born again. And that only comes by the power of the Spirit. And, and, and Nicodemus is still not getting it. And, and Jesus is like, you, you, I don't understand how you're not getting it. He says, don't, don't, why, are you mar- why are you amazed? Look at verse 7 that you must be born again. Now look at that. He changes the language a little bit. He says, you instead of one. One must be born again. Then he turns and makes it really personal. Nicodemus, this means you. I don't care that you're a leader, that you're a teacher of the law. I don't care that you're a ruler, that you're the preeminent teacher, that that you're instructed. You, Nicodemus, need to be born again. So if Nicodemus needed to be born again, the, the teacher of Israel, the ruling class, the one who got the law, understood religion really well, then it's not about religion that gets us in either. It's about being born by the Spirit. And, and then maybe, maybe Jesus and Nicodemus, they're standing there talking, and then uh, I, can, I can imagine it's, it's nighttime, this, this wind kicks up, and he hears rustling leaves, and Jesus is like, Nicodemus, is, it's like that. The wind blows where it wishes. And, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. He says, so is everybody who's born by the Spirit. You know, even today with Doppler radar and, and weather patterns and, and a complex computational analysis, supercomputers, that the wind's still was somewhat unpredictable for us because um, if you've noticed, whenever there's weather forecasts, they're, they're not right the majority of the time, I'll just say that. Whenever a hurricane comes, we kind of have like this informal betting that happens in our home. And like, you know, will, will it really hit like they're all saying doom and gloom? And, and, and you know, a lot of times it doesn't. Sometimes they're right but it's probably like one out of five. Now, the, the bad thing about that is that makes people not take hurricanes seriously, and, and hurricanes are powerful, right? It's wind, so I love the wind. Like last Sunday, the wind began to blow after church when we were hanging out, and it was nice. The wind was blowing lightly, and it was like, oh, that feels great. It's nice. What a nice day. The wind is great. But if you're in the middle of a hurricane, the wind is not so great. It's, well, it is great. It's too great. It's too powerful. And he says, that's what it's like to be born of the Spirit. It says, you, you don't know where it comes from, but, but it is powerful, and you can see and hear the effects of it. It makes a demonstrable change. It's a supernatural, amazing, life-changing thing that happens. And Nicodemus, is, he still doesn't get it. He says, well, how, how can these things be? How does, how does that come, how does it take place? If it's not about all these other ways that, if it's not about me, that I have to be born again too, me, the, the teacher, I have to be born again, how, how does that take place? And Jesus, he answers him in, in verses 10 and 15, and he corrects him. Because Nicodemus, as the teacher, should have gotten it. And, and, and the summary of his answer is really that entry into God's kingdom, it, it, it comes through looking to Jesus, 
lifted up in faith. Now, he, he wouldn't have gotten that, but he, he should have seen that a new birth was necessary and that it comes through the breath, the Spirit of God, the wind. It's the same word, by the way, that's used for all three of those words, the breath of God, the, that the God breathed into Adam, life. The, the wind that blows and, and the Holy Spirit, all the same word in Greek is pneuma. It's, it's this, this, the wind is it, it's the breath, it's the Holy Spirit. He still doesn't get it, though. He doesn't understand how birth from above can happen. And so Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't get these things? You're the teacher and you, and you don't get these things? Because Nicodemus, he, he would have been very versed in the Old Testament. That was his, his primary role, the teacher of Israel. And he's, he's versed in the Old Testament. He's, he's a ruler of the Sanhedrin. He should have gotten these things. He would have been familiar with all the Old Testament promises. And there are places in the Old Testament, and Jesus was actually being helpful because he's trying to show Nicodemus how to be born again, that, that it, a, a rebirth needs to happen. And, and he should have gotten that from the Old Testament, that a rebirth needed to happen. And he should have been making the connections between the, the, the wind and the water and the rebirth. You see, you see, in Ezekiel 26, Ezekiel 26, 25, God had made a promise, and he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness. You need a purifying action of the Holy Spirit. You need, you need the cleansing waters of God. I, I'm going to clean you from your uncleanness. You can't do it yourself. You can't put away your idols by yourself. You can't make yourself clean. No purification will do. You need my cleansing water. He says, I'll cleanse you from all your idols. And, and look in verse 26. He uses the same language that Jesus is using. He's talking about water. Verse 26, I'll give you a new heart. Well, I know that if my heart stops beating, I die. So that implies at least a, a, a rebirth. I'll give you a new heart. And then he says something else. I'll, I'll, I'll put a new spirit, a new pneuma, a new spirit I'll put within you. I breathe my spirit in you to begin with it. And now I'm going to put a new spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be put back in you. I'm going to remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. There is a transformation, a rebirth that happens and, and through water in the spirit. So Nicodemus, he's, that's why Jesus corrects him. He says, you're the teacher of Israel. <laughs> Don't you remember these things? He says, I'll put my spirit within you. Oh, what's the wonder of the new birth? I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Oh, so it's a result of the Holy Spirit that we're able to walk in his statutes. And then he's going to have us dwell in the good land, a true promised land. And Nicodemus should have gotten that. And then Nicodemus should also have read it in Ezekiel 37 when, when Jesus, he takes, when God takes the prophet to this valley and he shows him a valley as picture. And, and all throughout this valley, it's scattered. And it's a picture of beyond death, of the deader than dead. So it's not just a picture of, of bodies littered all throughout this valley, this dry desert place. It's... It's a desert full of dry bones. So they, they had already been dead so long that they've become bone. There was no flesh left. Dead people, maybe if you think somebody is dead for an hour or two, it's possible they come back to life but when no flesh is left on bones. There's no possibility of breath, of life, no spirit left. And then in verse 30, in, in Ezekiel 37, we have this, this, this imagery that that, that he asked the prophet, he says, can these dry bones live? He says, Lord, you know. And he says, well, prophesy over them. And, and he, he tells them, he says, I'll cause breath, wind, spirit to enter you and you will live. 
and I'll, I'll lay new sinews on you. I'll cause flesh to come upon you. And then he says, there's still no breath. And he says, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come four winds, oh breath. And he says, I'm breathe on the slain that they may live. What has to happen to people for them to enter the kingdom is for new life, for rebirth, for the Holy Spirit to breathe life. And Ezekiel 37, 12, he says, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, my people. What is this picture? It's new birth. That's how you enter the kingdom, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. That's how it happens. It happens supernaturally. It happens by the spirit, not by your works. And then Jesus says, truly, truly, a third time. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, and he says that again, I say to you, because Nicodemus has come to him. How did Nicodemus come to him? Rabbi, we know, we Sanhedrin, we Pharisees, we know. And Jesus says, you know? Here's what I say. And then Jesus shifts the language. Look in verse 11. He uses a plural, but there's, there's no indication that the disciples are around. He comes to Jesus at night. The indication is it's just Jesus and Nicodemus talking. It could have been other people. But, but Jesus speaks in a plural here. Nicodemus, you're talking about your we. I'll talk about a greater we. I know. We speak. Pointing to himself probably. Nicodemus, we speak. You spoke of what you know. I'll speak of what we know. We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you didn't receive our testimony. Referring to to the testimony of the prophets. Referring to the testimony of God given to the people. Nicodemus, he's the third time claiming. He's claiming authority based on what he says. This is a, a claim that only God makes. A threefold claim to the teacher, the rulers of Israel. I say... He's not quoting a scripture here. He's not quoting another teacher. He's not basing his authority on someone else. He's basing his authority on himself because he knows because he is the son of God. Look in verse 13. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And he's saying, Nicodemus, that's, that's me. And then he tells him, look in verse 14, as, the, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. He's using an illustration for Nicodemus. He's being kind again to him. He's using an illustration for Nicodemus from Israel's past. Now you're wondering, what in the world is he talking about a serpent being lifted up? If you've not read the Bible, not read your Old Testament before, or if you're not familiar with the story in, in Romans 21, I mean, I'm sorry, Numbers 21. Romans is not in the Old Testament, in case you're wondering. Numbers 21. And Moses, he's led the... Israelites out of Egypt. He's led them through the Red Sea and he was leading them in a way that didn't seem good to them. They didn't like it. It seemed like the long way to get there. They didn't understand. It was out of the way. They didn't like that God was providing manna for heaven for them. Like, we have the same old ridiculous food. And they were complaining about how God was leading them. They were impatient and they rebelled against God. And so, Numbers 21 5 says, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? As if that was God's intent. For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Ouch. You see, God was providing their daily bread, and they loathed it. They loathed the provision that he gave because it wasn't the what they wanted the way they wanted. It wasn't what they thought they needed. 
God was not okay with their impatience and complaining about his directions. And so look in number 21.6. It says, now the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and then they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. But what was God doing there? He, he was bringing judgment. His wrath was being poured out for their sins on them and it was deserved. And then the people prayed they, they asked God, they said, God, I mean, Moses, would you, would you intervene with God on our behalf? And, and so Moses prays for the people, and then in verse 8 of number 21, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Oh, that's a very strange thing, isn't it? There is no way that a serpent set up on a pole is going to bring healing to people. There's no way that looking at a bronze serpent is going to bring healing. There's nothing, mystic, no mystical magic. Don't go home if you're sick, if you have the coronavirus, and, and set up a bronze image of the coronavirus and expect that to heal you. That's, it doesn't happen that way. So what's happening? God is saying to his people, you look to my provision, my means. They might not make sense to you. You may not see it. You look to my provision, and you have faith in me, and I am the one who saved you. He says if a serpent bit anyone, he'd look at the bronze serpent and live. So he'd look at God's provision, God's means, by faith, and find life. And he says the Son of Man must be lifted up that way. So that you must look at me. I must be lifted up. I must be the one who's lifted up like that. And you have to look to me in faith. That, that's how entry into the kingdom is granted. That if, if you look at the Son of Man, if you look to the means that God has provided to take his wrath that we deserve, we, we deserve to be bitten by the fiery serpent. You know, that same serpent, that, that theme that runs throughout the Bible, the serpent and the great serpent, and the, the serpent in the garden, and the, in the end, the serpent, the very end, the dragon. Moses puts his bronze serpent up, and Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up like that so that you don't get bit by the serpent. And if you are bit, you won't die. No matter what, what the devil does to you, no matter how he harms you, no matter how it stings, no matter how fiery it gets, look to me and have eternal life. And I love that he says, and whoever believes in him. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus, it's not based on your privilege, position, your, where you come from. Entering the kingdom doesn't come through earthly means. It's whoever believes in me being lifted up for them. And they're giving eternal life. Not just life forever or, or life freed from the confines of time, but also a different quality of life, eternal life. The life that comes from the eternal God that lasts forever. That, that is... Uh, a life that cannot be taken away doesn't depend on anything here. A life that has something to do with the eternity of God and not to do with earthly things. Originates with God, making you born again. You believe in Jesus, lift it up, you have eternal life. And the good news is that this kind of salvation, this access, is granted, not through any human means, to all who believe in him. They have eternal life. Nicodemus didn't get it, but he probably did later. He went away from here after this dialogue, and then John reflects on it in verses 16 and 21. It's kind of John's reflection on this conversation. 
But I love at the end of the story in, in, in John 19. It says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, now the inference, I think John is like, he'd come by night, now he's seen the light. Came bringing a mixture. Now Nicodemus comes in worship, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and 75 pounds in weight. That's a sacrifice, by the way. That would have been quite a bit of wealth. And so they took the body of Jesus. They bound the linen cloths, the spices. And it goes on. I can imagine as they were taking Jesus down, he looked up. And he remembered the words of Jesus. I can't imagine he could not have remembered the words of Jesus. He said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And as they're taking Jesus down, he saw the Son of Man lifted up and he put faith there and worshiped. And he got it. All come equally by looking to Jesus. All have equal access. And the question is, will you come into the kingdom? Will you come into relationship with God? Will you set aside all other means, all earthly means, all fleshly means, all fleshly hopes? And will you put your hope in the supernatural rebirth that God gives to us that enables us to come by faith? Whoever believes... The kingdom is already here. The kingdom's not just future like the Jews believe the future kingdom is now. It's God's good and gracious rule and reign in your life to transform your life and bring good into your life. God's rule in your life is good. And we get to have that rule and reign now. And by the way, we get to see that rule and reign spread throughout the earth through the gospel spreading. That's really what we want. Man, what do we need right now? We need the kingdom. We need the kingdom of God. We need peace that he brings alone. Where God's remaking what was lost in the garden, where we have communion and fellowship with God Almighty, where He makes us reborn into Christ's own image. <laughs> I was a kid, I used to watch a show called The Six Million Dollar Man, and this is this is something far better is coming than that. He gives us new hearts, new flesh, new desires, new abilities, joy, peace. What do you do when you're discouraged, when you're downtrodden, when you're hopeless, when the fiery serpents sting, when people die, when sin abounds, when you're fearful? Where are you looking today? Have you looked to Jesus? Will you look to Jesus? Will you renounce all hope and any accomplishments and say, Jesus, forgive me even for being downcast because that reveals I'm trusting in earthly means. God, I have... I confidently look to you and you alone and thank you I have eternal life. And let him give you faith and hope and joy and peace in his kingdom. Because entering into God's kingdom is only granted through his supernatural rebirth that's forever secured in Christ. Let's pray and have the band go ahead and come up and we'll sing. Jesus, help us look up to you in faith, however feeble and weak our faith might be. Lord, when the fiery serpents sting, when sin seems to abound, when there's death all around, let's look up to you and find your provision, your eternal life and hope and joy and peace. God, would you do what 
Only you can through your Holy Spirit, through your Son. Would you make us alive? Would you breathe fresh life? And God, you commanded in in the scriptures for those who have been born again to be filled continually with the Spirit. So Father, we pray asking for that fresh wind, fresh spirit, fresh breath from you. Would you breathe new life? Would you breathe your continual eternal life? Lord, for those who've been born again, would you fill us anew as we look to you in faith? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.